Sonia. Usually I make light of the proceedings, but this podcast celebrates the life and work of Bob Neuwirth, poet, painter, banjo picker, rambling gambling man. He is much missed, but as Sid says, his art lives on. Take it away, Mr. Showbiz. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you very much. Tonight, folks, we have a very special podcast, Sonia and I and our engineer, Kevin Stokes. Very special podcast. It's the first time we've ever done a podcast devoted to just one artist. The artist is Bob Newworth, and he's both a musical artist and a graphics artist and an artist in many other ways. The way he lived his life, the ultimate way you can be an artist is how you live your life. And he was an artist that way as well. The reason I'm doing this is at age 82, Bob Newworth left this uh, planet and has gone to a celestial reward. And believe me, it's a celestial reward upstairs that he gets and deserves. The second reason we're doing this is because Bob Newworth kind of gets a, a, a bizarre rap from a lot of people. The obituaries, which I've read, focused on his uh, friendships with a lot of famous people, people that he helped push into the limelight, that he helped inspire to take the limelight that was rightfully theirs artistically, although they may not have had the self-confidence to get into that limelight without him helping them along. And I'll talk about that in a bit. And the third reason is because he was a good friend to me and I could have used a good friend at the time. I really bumped into him and met him and started hanging out with him. And we'll talk about all of this but first, let's, let's let's talk about Bob Newworth's career. Yeah, he was a painter. Yeah, he was the friend of a lot of famous guys. But he started recording very early on. He made some home tapes and things like that. He was a clawhammer banjo enthusiast. He was a bluegrass enthusiast in the early and mid-60s when very few people in the United States were into the bluegrass scene. Bluegrass had really peaked around 1949, 1950. It was going downhill. There wasn't any kind of a bluegrass festival till uh, Fincastle, Virginia in 65, although there were folk festivals that had bluegrass in them, of course. But there was no proper bluegrass festivals, we know, till Fincastle, Virginia in 1965. Bob Newworth started recording in 65, 66 under the uh, Watchful Live Albert Grossman, his, his friend. They tried to do a few things, and it came out a bit David Blue, David Cohen. Didn't really happen. I looked for the early Bob Newworth recordings in the, in the office of uh, the, the uh, I was trying not to say his name, but Bob Dylan, when I was working on the basement tapes, liner notes, in, uh, nine, a few years ago for the basement tapes box set put out by those guys. Anyway, his first real recording... Was in came out in 1974 on the Asylum Records label. And this is a song of Bob's called Just Because I'm Here Don't Mean I'm Home. This is Bob Newworth's first proper album. And this is the first proper Bob Newworth song of the night. Check it out. Down at the harbor lights, 
The last interview is Adam Barker, who owns a coin toss game and travels with the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Interviews off the very first Alpha Band album. T-Bone Burnett, David Mansfield, Stephen Souls came out in 1976 on Arista. All right, fellas, I get the idea. And uh, it was a really good record. I bought it for the stupid reason they're holding baseball gloves. I thought, well, this is a good idea kind of thing. Anyway, and uh, I really liked it. I didn't realize that I would be hearing from all three guys over and over and over again in the next few years. T-Bone Burnett, of course, uh after doing some great production for everyone from Los Lobos to maybe your mother, he's now a, a TV soundtrack mogul kind of guy, a huge name in the industry. David Mansfield, a multi-instrumentalist who does movie soundtracks and has worked with everybody from Bob Dylan to T-Bone Burnett to Stephen Souls and back Bob Newworth. Stephen Souls, who's produced everybody and his brother and done a great job every single time. I, I knew Stephen Souls a little bit back in Los Angeles. I, I had no idea. I mean, guy reeks talent. He's just like Newworth. He's a very modest guy. And before that, before interviews, which was, of course, written by T-Bone Burnett and Bob Newworth with a painter named Larry Pons. And it's not, no one's name is Poons. Someone said it's Poons. It's got to be Larry Pons. Anyway, that's a co-write from those Desperados that really sums up the whole thing. And I noticed David Jackson, ex-Gene Clark, is the bass player on that song. Uh, later on, Alpha Band had uh, two more albums out on Arista. They're all worth seeking out. There's a CD reissue of that stuff somewhere. But the first song we heard, the very first song, kind of a curious song to start off a podcast with, was Bob Newworth from his 1974 Bob Newworth, Bob Newworth Asylum LP. And it's just called Just Because I'm Here Don't Mean I'm at Home. It's sort of one of those crazy philosophical asides that guys like uh, Johnny Paycheck and uh, various country singers come up with, and Newworth came up with it there. I thought it was a fantastic song. It sounds to me like Bobby Blue Bland or, or Brooke Benton doing a little country, country and western. Really an interesting thing. And the album, of course, didn't sell. Now, when it came out, it had a million famous names on the back of all of Newworth's friends that had uh, played on the album. Now, that, that's great, but at the time, you didn't realize, I didn't realize as a kid, that he knows all these people, that, you know, Booker T. Jones, Tommy Kay, you know, Ben Keith, so on and so forth, I could read them all. I didn't realize he knew all those people, and they were his friends, that's why on the record. I thought it was some guy, sort of, if you will, sorry, Bob, showing off that he knew all these famous people. No, that's the crowd he moved in. Many of these people, 
he helped push again and give him the confidence to go into the limelight, push him into the limelight. And I didn't realize that as a kid. Plus, his promotional skills weren't great. New Earth was a very, very much... He said to me several times that if you're obscure and you're sort of anonymous, you can get a lot more art done. And if you're a famous person, there's weight and expectation and demand placed on you. And it's harder to convey, to create art, much less to convey it in a successful way to the public. He said a lot of quite right Zen-like forward slash Hollywood agent things to me. And he was always right, always right. Let's move along. He didn't, he had great periods of time where he was just a painter or he was just sort of a a catalyst, someone putting this person with that person, someone saying this band should have that singer, someone saying you would be great friends with so-and-so at McCabe's Guitar Shop in Santa Monica. Oh, you ought to hang out with so-and-so at the Blue Guitar in San Diego. You would really like that guy. He likes that kind of uh, Portuguese folk music as well. New Earth was brilliant for that. It's something my own sweet self and so many of his friends loved him for. But he had great periods of time where he wouldn't really be a musician. After the Asylum album, of course, he got together the Rolling Thunder Review, and we needn't talk about that. Everybody knows all about it. You can read about it in a million things. I'd rather shift and focus on on Bob. There's so much about Bob Newworth that we could talk about that deflects, like his uh, professional career, reflects his personal career, personal lifestyle, and that it, he deflects the light towards other people, which is beautiful and good and rewarding. But I want to keep this podcast on Newworth himself. 14 years go by. Some brave soul signs him to uh, an AM distributed label, and he puts out a record called Back to the Front, which is produced by Stephen Souls, who you just heard me talk about. He's in the uh, Alpha Band. And we're going to play the first two songs off this record. It's uh, a very quiet acoustic record. That's where Bob Newworth felt most at home. When I played with him, and I did several, several times, I did a couple of tours with him in Europe and played several times with him just in London when he came over to see people and just in California. He was either on acoustic 12-string when I was with him or Clawhammer banjo. Well, this was Bob's first LP in 14 years. He was not the most personally driven, ambitious person I've ever met. We're going to have an example of him uh, playing Clawhammer banjo, and then we're going to hear his song, Eye on the Road. Those are the first two things off this record, Back to the Front. And then, right after that, we're going to hear T-Bone Burnett sing Annabelle Lee, which is a song uh, Bob Newworth wrote that T-Bone Burnett did a brilliant job on his 1986 Dot album. But let's hear a little Clawhammer banjo from the great Bob Newworth. Stay away 
sisters for pieces of silver they miss the message of the heart others print the answers on pieces of paper swearing all is fair in money love and art
someplace on the edge of the city. Taking the danger as a matter of course, not concern. What's the difference if there ain't no lights in the alley? When you're so down and alone, you got no place to turn. That's David Hildago. This is from a 1986 LP on Dot. Recorded live, direct, two-track tape. This was the third track off Back to the Front, although this song, Annabelle Lee, is here being sung by the great T-Bone Burnett. Yeah, David Hildago on accordion, I figured as much. Lap steel by the great Jerry Douglas. Fiddle by Byron Berline, who I know and love because he's in Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And he gave me his autograph. Bob Newworth song essayed successfully by T-Bone Burnett. It's one of those albums, very unassuming albums, so it's very much indicative of what Bob Newworth was as well. A wonderful album by T-Bone Burnett. By the way, that 1986 album on Dot that I just mentioned with Annabelle Lee is called T-Bone Burnett by T-Bone Burnett. One of those jobs like Newworth's first album where it's just named after yourself. And before that, we heard Bob playing a little claw hammer banjo. He was very self-deprecating about his claw hammer banjo technique and abilities, and he's actually pretty good. Uh, on guitar, he was, he was so, so good accompanist, nothing special. But on claw hammer, I, I mean, he was pretty good. And he, I don't know why he didn't practice more and play more, because he's actually pretty good. Now, when we heard uh, Eyes to the Front, Eyes on the Road, excuse me, from Back to the Front, says he tripping over his tongue, it occurred to me a, a funny story, a, a perhaps a poignant story. When when this album came out, Back to the Front, I had it lying on a card table on Vine Street near the uh, Hollywood, uh, in the heart of Hollywood, near the near the Capitol Records Tower. I was up the hills just a bit. And of all people, uh, this is a name to drop, 
Brian Ahern came in. He had been the producer of Emmylou Harris and many other artists, uh, Ann Murray. And Ahern and I were talking. I can't remember why he came to my house, but he came to the house of the friend and we were talking. And I said, did you play Canadian football? He said, yeah, I got started as a Canadian football player. They have a different size field as the Americans do. But he, he said, I wanted to play for the Hamilton Tiger Cats up there. And I said, oh, we talked about Canadian football for a while. And the Long Riders were selling a, a, an e. I was in a band called the Long Riders, and we were selling a cassette-only release called Metallic Bo. Right, get it? Because Iggy had Metallic Ko. We thought it was funny to be self-deprecating ourselves. We called it Metallic Bo. By the way, Iggy Pop was also a friend of Bob Newworth's, weren't we all? Anyway, so Ahern came in and saw all this money on the table because I had the twenties and the fifties and the tens and the fives all laid out. Because people were sending in cash. I kid you not. They were sending in cash in the post to buy this Longriders cassette. And he walked over to the table, and he was stunned to see there was like 800 bucks in cash all laid out. And Ahern went, hey, are you doing some kind of drug deals? This is, what are you doing over here? And I explained to him, we're selling this cassette only. And he looked down, and he saw back to the front. And he goes, back to the front, Bob Newworth. And Brian Ahern goes, Bob Newworth makes records? And I said, not only has he made a, an album now, he's made a couple, he made one before, but this is his second album. It's really good. And Brian Ahern didn't even know that New Earth made records. Is the Bob New Earth? And I said, yeah, it's, it's really good. You should check it out. Now that's something when guys in your own sort of peer group don't even know you, you make records. But again, for a guy like Bob New Earth, and I can't emphasize this enough, and it's one reason why the obituaries that I've read haven't captured him at all, really or they've captured a, a, an era of him, and that's it, just that one era, is New Earth believed in the art. New Earth believed that when the paint went on the canvas, it was there for a reason. The way you held the brush, the way you threw the paint on in a Jackson Pollock style or what have you, it was there for a reason. When the tracks went down, they went down that way for a reason. Unless something was indescribably ghastly, that there was a there was a reason for it. That's, that's just what went down. And... Uh, I just found it amazing to play with him. He, he did this thing when he started out in Cambridge. His friends told me, and I, I queried Bob Newworth about this, and he was very reluctant to talk about it. And I guess it was it was pushing things. But he did admit he he would drink a lot, and that would give him the courage to go on stage in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts or wherever and do his folk thing. And what he would do is he would just get a real simple pattern, and then he would make up the song. So later, he wouldn't even know what he'd sung. This is something Tebow Burnett talked about. New Earth would just go like... And he'd make up a song... And he might not even have another part, but he'd sing the song and the lyrics would come out flowing and it'd just be this fantastic thing. And then every once in a while, he might have a sudden rhythm. And so you got a B part, and then it go back to the A part. And I found that amazing. I said, how can you do that and create this great art just for that moment and then not remember how it went later? And he goes, I said, I was young then and kind of anything went. And I never really quite followed that one, but that's what he said. Moving along, another person Bob Newworth influenced, touched the heart of, if you'll allow me to say it, encouraged the spirit of this guy. This is uh, someone I know, Mr. Peter Case. 
this is a song he wrote with Bob Newworth. It's called Traveling Light. It's on his second solo album, which is on Geffen Records, produced by, of course, Jay Stephen Souls, Larry Hirsch, and, and Peter himself. Traveling Light is just a f- great song. Again, David Hildago uh, on guitar, right? Ry- Cooter on guitar, Stephen Souls playing bass on this, Keltner on drums. This is an example of Newworth getting away from some of the minor chord stuff, being a little more being a little more up tempo and positive, which he was. He was not a door down the mouth kind of guy. If you ever talked baseball or the NFL with him, you you knew he had a lot to say, not just about the arts or just about his friends and humanity in general. He knew sport as well. A real Renaissance man, I kid you not. Anyway, Peter Case, take it away. We're gonna be traveling light.
She reminds me of an angel when I look into those eyes and see that she has made a great escape, taking only traces of the cage she's left behind. Like a dove, she spreads her wings to fly away. Fly away in the darkness Where they call a love a crime Somehow grace she places her face In the great Distance lends perspective to mistake And in her mind the future becomes possible at last As though a heavy stone were rolled away
After Back to the Front, Bob Newworth put out 99 Monkeys, also on Gold Castle Records, just, uh, distributed by AM Records, on Chuck Prophet's wonderful Gimme Country Show out of San Francisco. I played Great Spirit, the first song Newworth sang on 99 Monkeys, but this time I went for track four, which is Good Intentions. When I, I have a CD of this particular album, and it uh, CD's liner notes say this is directed debt, just like. Uh, T-Bone Burnett's 1986 album, which I mentioned a little while ago, was directed two-track tape. Well, this is directed dat, and what went down went down. There's no additional overdubbing or mixing, remixing whatsoever. Now, when I pulled out 99 Monkeys and looked at it and getting all philosophical and thinking, oh, you know, this is great, the usual cast and crew that he loved, Steve Young, the yes, the rock salt and nails guy, the renegade picker guy on guitar, Steve Soul singing harmony, you know, sure, Billy Swan's on it, the guy that did I Can Help. And I was thinking, this is, you know, great. Another great Bob Newworth album that, you know, he, did, he didn't push. He didn't go on big tours. He didn't open up for, uh, I don't know, Fleetwood Mac and Arenas to, to push the album. And he just put these albums out. He was an art for art's sake guy. And, and the reason, it wasn't just the comfort and warmth of the musicianship. He, he has his friends on his records, the, the people that give him something more than, more than just giving him good music. He has his friends on his records. So anyway, I'm pulling out this record and looked at this. This is actually a CD, not vinyl, this one. And I'm looking at 99 Monkeys and thinking, oh, that's about the time we did this big tour in Europe. And I open it up to the middle and it says, in a familiar scrawl, Sid, thanks for a good tour. Bob Newworth, 1997, Bellafield, GDR. And I remember, I, I'd forgotten rather, that, he, that he'd uh, autographed that CD for me. It meant a lot to me to have his autograph and his kind words. And I thought of a lot of uh, funny stories. On that tour, let me give you two of them real quick. On that tour, he and I were in a Chinese restaurant somewhere with some guys from uh, the local, the German, Glitterhouse Records, who had something to do with maybe distributing Bob's stuff. The Glitterhouse Records guys in Germany, they were just terrific people. So it's 1997, and he and I are hanging out. And Newarth would always have me up. He'd do like eight songs or whatever. And he'd have me and this bass player up towards the end. And sometimes just the encore, and sometimes like the last quarter of his set or whatever, we'd, we'd play. We knew some of the songs, and some we didn't. Crazy. But he'd have us up, and I'd blow harmonic and play a little guitar or whatever I was doing. The bass player would sing a little harmony. It was terrific fun. So we're in this Chinese restaurant talking, and, you know, Bob Newworth was telling these funny stories. And he and I got into a philosophical thing about why do people like him, like myself, and like so many of our friends, why do we ever look and think, well, I'm in music, I'm, I'm making records, I get good reviews, the records sell to a cult audience. You know, why do we necessarily think or expect more? Why do we seek more? 
And he and I were thinking, if we were novelists and we wrote a novel and it was uh, well-received by the literary critics and some of the public, most, many novelists, maybe not most, but many novelists would have been fine with that. If you're a poet, it's pretty much guaranteed you'd better do something else for a living as well to generate income, unless you've got some kind of a inheritance to fall back on. And he and I were talking about, why would a poet think, I've put out this anthology of poetry, it's been well-received, people really like it, why do, why do I think or expect that there should be more? Well, a poet doesn't. He's realistic about it. He and I got it talking about painting. If we were a painter in a garret upstairs in some Parisian attic or in the Dordogne in some barn painting away, would you think, well, this is a really great painting. I want some money. No, no, you wouldn't. You paint for the art and for the art's sake. That's what you do. But in, in pop music, a lot of people, and I've fallen prey to this myself, think, well, I'm owed something. And you're not. Your reward may have been to make that really great record and to touch some hearts with it. And the fact that it didn't sell a million or whatever, well, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Put yourself in the shoes of the poet. Put yourself in the shoes of the, of the novelist. Put yourself in the shoes of the painter or the sculptor. They don't expect all this monetary reward for their art. Why should you? But in music, it's different. He and I were laughing. And he said, I was telling him some of the projects I'd done and got things I'd gotten to do in the record industry outside of just being a musician. And he was nodding. We were laughing. And he said to me, Sid, there's one thing that you and I have, have in common. We've gotten to do a lot of fun and interesting things with some good folks. And I nodded sagely, trying to keep up with him intellectually. And he said, but I'm going to tell you something right now, Sid. When you add it all up, even though you and I had a couple of fat paydays, you and I are both working for 50 cents an hour. And man, I, there was silence at the table and the Germans and I, we all started laughing. Yeah, okay, 50 cents an hour, but an interesting life. I'll, I'll go. I'd rather do that than uh, be making a jillion dollars and have a, a boring, dull life. Mark Twain said... If you get a job that you really love, you'll never work a day in your life. I think Mark Twain and Bob Newworth would have gotten along very, very well. The other thing I wanted to say about that tour in, in 1997, where there's pictures of Newworth and I on stage singing. He says he uh, trying to get some reflected glory of his late friend, late Ohio friend, is uh, the bass player went to do something with someone else. There was like two, maybe three days where it was just Newworth and myself traveling around. We're going to pick this guy up later. Actually, it was Austria. I've blown it. It was Austria. And I said, where did you go? Was we'll safe. Just bear with me. It was Austria. I said, where did you go last night? And he looked at me and said, I went gambling. I went, what? He said, you know that casino? I said, man, how did you get in it? Those people were dressed so well. He said, I had to borrow a guy's suit. And I've never had anybody in the road tell me anything like this ever. I've had people tell me of... Uh, just getting down and into some hedonism right next to the gutter. And I've had people tell me that they went to their AA meeting that night, that we had an off night. And I've had people tell me that they went and saw old friends and drank wine and talked till dawn. And I've had friends tell me they had an early night. And I've had friends tell me that they went to see uh, the local football, i.e. soccer team play. I've never had anybody on the road tell me I went to a gambling casino in somebody else's suit and, and, you know, play the roulette wheels et al till the wee hours of the morning. And that's why I look so tired now. I never had anybody say that. Still kind of blows my mind. Something that also kind of blows my mind is that John Cale of the Velvet Underground, who of course was a music scholarship guy. That's how he went to New York in 1963 in the first place where he met Lou Reed and the gang. And Bob Newworth made a record 
And what blows my mind further is it came out on a major label in 1994, 20 years after Bob's Asylum Records debut. Now, Kale is a very developed, accomplished, posh guy. He knows all the jazz chords. He knows all the passing chords. Yes, he played some primitive dun 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 for Lou Reed. But he was not just a primitive guy. He played the viola. And on this record that they made in 1994, Last Day on Earth, it was a real amazing meeting of a guy who would be known as an American primitive musician, i.e. Bob Newworth, and the great Welsh polished music scholarship genius John Cale. From that album, this is The High and Mighty Road, which though it sounds very John Cale with some Newworth interjected into the music, the philosophy and the lyrics sound incredibly Bob Newworth to me, a guy who, as we all do, mellowed as the years went on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is John Cale and Bob Newworth, High and Mighty Road. Fragile beauties 
or the message is sent in code be delivered as nostalgia on that high and mighty road or sacrifice and deprivation our spiteful paradoxes sold as begrudging restitutions along that high and mighty road. And yet the faces, oh God, the faces, they seldom change from young to old. They only seem to grow more wasted along the high and mighty the future we are trading it is the prices that we pay it is the mind that is mistaken it is the heart we give away
tough Don't you think we're strong enough To pull it all back together Well, honey, I do Say it, Bob Overdubbing intro. Can you hear that? You know, that song, What's Our Love Coming To? I'll put that on there because Newworth is a big country and western guy. He's from the Akron, Ohio area, and he and I talked about country and western a lot. He loved bluegrass, I've said several times. He was an enthusiast of the Cole Porters, C O A L Porters, my bluegrass band. He saw us play several times, and when we finished one time, uh, the festival called Down on the Farm in Norway. He said the nicest thing to me. He was grinning as we came off stage, and I went over to see, you know, what do you think? Because I knew he knew his bluegrass. He looked at me, and he said, Sid, you can take the boy out of Kentucky, but you can't take Kentucky out of the boy. And he slapped me on the shoulder, and I thought, well, that's a winner. That song is from his brilliant album, Look Up, which came out in about 1995, as I recall, on Watermelon Records, the great record store in, in uh, Austin, Texas. Look Up is a wonderful, wonderful record. I recommend it to you all. It's got a number of killer tracks. Uh, that track is, uh, well, it's got, it's got every, it, New Earth went around the world, certainly Western Europe. North America and recorded with Peter Case, with Chuck Prophet, with Rosie Flores, with my buddy Elliot Murphy. Hi, Elliot. Uh, Patty Smith appeared on this record back when Patty Smith was raising her kids, so it was a big thing that she was on this record. There's a, uh, I'm going to play another song from it in a minute as we're winding this up. And I noticed that song there is uh, Rosie singing, Rosie Flores, the great Rosie Flores, who is just a marvelous artist. Check her out, Rosie Flores, easy to find on the internet. The raven-haired beauty picks a guitar like she was ringing a bell, and on the lead guitar was Chuck Prophet. And I thought about this, that... You could have had Chuck sing the song and Rosie played guitar, because they're both brilliant singers and they're both brilliant guitarists. In this instance, the duet was with Rosie and Bob, but it could have been Chuck singing and Rosie playing the guitar, because they're both just brilliant musicians. From that point on, it got kind of quiet for a few years. Uh, Bob Newworth came to London. I remember he introduced me to, I was thrilled, he introduced me to Spooner Oldham and uh, Dan Penn. And he opened for them at some place that used to be, it's now Spearmint Rhino, which is as disgusting as it sounds. It is a, I guess, a lap dance club. Can I say that? It's just a kind of a glorified strip club now. But uh, one of those guys in the Joe Boyd crowd was telling me it, it was a one of the big hippie venues back in the 60s, which sure as hell wasn't around uh, 2007 or whatever this was. And we played opening up for uh, uh, Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham, and that was a thrill, just a thrill. And they, they, when they saw Bob, they were shaking his hand and, and talking to him about this and that, and I thought, wow, this guy has a, uh, a wide influence, and the amount of friends he has is incredible. In Newworth's case, I don't listen to anybody say bad things about him, but I can say I made a list, I've got notes here, and I made a list here of people that were his friends, or influenced by him, or whom he worked with. And it's just, if I read it, we'd be here all day. I guess everybody knows 
He took Chris Tarverson to Nashville the first time. A lot of people don't know that when the the winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature and New Earth went to see the birds rehearse in 1965, that the winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature was a little iffy about him. wasn't really sure about Chimes of Freedom and Tambourine Man and all that stuff. And it was New Earth in the room who was saying, Bob, you got, this is great. This is the most unbelievable thing. This is the sound. He took his travels into Nashville, as I said. He, he gave Janis Joplin a lot of uh, enthusiasm and support after their uh, poor record. The first record was on, what was that little label, the first Big Brother record? It wasn't very well done. And he got him onto the Columbia label because, of course, Grossman had the uh, contacts there. I've mentioned T-Bone Burnett. I've, I've mentioned Iggy. I've mentioned Patti Smith. Uh, I could mention Concrete Blonde, Taj Mahal. I've mentioned Chuck Prophet, Marie and Jeff Maldar. You know, Rosie, I've mentioned Steve Young. I could mention my first wife. I could mention Beverly Joe Scott, uh, Robert Earl Keane, Dan Zanes, who was, of course, in the Del Fuegos, the late Hal Wilner, always included Bob Newerth in his projects when he could. Newerth, of course, filmed the famous footage of Hendrix at the Monterey Pop Festival burning his guitar on stage. And, and Newerth once told me not only did he film it or help film it, but I think he filmed the footage where he's like five feet in front of Hendrix. Newerth told me he went out and got the guy the lighter fluid. They were talking about what they could do in the act. And Hendrix says, well, I could set the guitar on fire. And Newerth said, you want me to go buy some lighter fluid? Uh, Bob produced the great Ralph Stanley. Uh, Ralph, of course, being the bluegrass god of the of Stanley Brothers, the holy trinity of bluegrass is Bill Monroe, Ralph Stanley, and the Stanley, the Clinch Mountain Boys, and of course, Flat and Scruggs. Uh, but most important, Bob Newerth gave a lot of these obituaries are focused on uh, the fact that he was the, the Nobel Prize for Literature's sidekick back in the mid '60s, and they were kind of harsh and cold and all that stuff. I don't deny it. I've seen Don't Look Back. We grow as people. We mellow as people. We should age like fine wine and not age like sour milk. New Earth did. To judge somebody by their behavior in 1965 that you saw on a, on a film once is absurd. You're not the person you were in 1965. I'm not either. And neither was Bob New Earth. As New Earth grew, aged, at one point, I embarrassed him by this at the dinner table the Chinese, at the Chinese restaurant in the Germany, which I spoke of earlier, I was speaking about, you know, I, I've noticed you've been helping people through AA and uh, nar- I think Narcotics Anonymous, but certainly through AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I embarrassed him. He really wanted that side of him that it's spoken to school assemblies, to classrooms, to individuals, to uh, workplaces about the dangers of overindulging in, in drugs and or alcohol. He, he wanted that. He didn't do it to get a headline, if you follow me. He didn't do it to have me clap him on the back. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And in essence, he grew up, he matured, he became a fine man. And if he was a, certainly on film at times, a sullen young man, that crowd's forgiven him. And I don't know why it, it dominates so, so much of his obituary. I love Bob Newerth, but that's how I feel. I love Bob Newerth, and I want you to love him too. Let's go and hear two more songs by the great man. This song sums him up. It's called The Call, and it's about taking a phone call, making a phone call about the old days as a folk singer. It's from his brilliant album, Havana Midnight. Take it away, Bob. Got a message last night Coming in loud and clear I tried calling right back No one was there It sounded so sad 
I tried another phone I guess you were gone by then Or there all alone The tone of your voice Sounded so weird As if you'd been drinking After all these years And it set me to thinking About them bad good old days All the corners we cut All the halls we play all the scenes we stole All the hell we raised But in spite of it all All the music we played And the music God made Remember those sisters With the shining black hair One fell in love One didn't dare They sure could sing One high and one low what they're doing these days Nobody knows I've got some pictures Do you still have my shirt? You know the one I let you wear it to work The night on the stage When we both nearly cried Singing the love song The one where somebody died Well, I guess that you've noticed I'm still on the road Singing those songs And bringing it on home So I'll give you a shout 
the next time we're near maybe you'll come out if you can get there from here you might come out hell you might even play one more time just for old time's sake for old time's sake beautiful Can you hear that bass harmonica? Not that one. That one. That one there. Best use of a low-range harmonica since Pet Sounds. That's Bob Newworth doing The Call. His brilliant album, Havana Midnight. Havana Midnight was not only my album of the year back in 1999, it might have been my album of the 1990s. It is a brilliant album. I've heard it so many times, I can tell you, the only things I don't like about it is there's a sax solo which is a bit out of place. And the instrumental, which ends the album, should have been in the album. It's like the fifth, sixth, or whatever track. It shouldn't be the last song on it. It's a brilliant record. And I'm, I'm very fond of the Havana Midnight album by Bob Newworth. I got to play a lot of these songs with him on stage. So just hearing that kind of puts a lump in my throat, to be perfectly frank. That sums him up so much. The reflectiveness, the introspection. I hate using the word mellow because it's got a kind of a wimpy, but the mellowness of him, the approach to life, how uh, if his friend shows up at the gig, why not come on stage and play? Just fantastic. That's the way he was. I remember we played, where were we? And introduced him to a fiddler named Gemma White. And he was going to go do this thing at a folk festival here in England. And Newworth looked at Gemma and said, can you, can you play the fiddle? And she says, yeah, of course. And he says, you play it well? And I nodded. Yeah. And he goes, come on with me. The first song's in E minor. And she was just shocked. What? I said, go with him, go with him, go with him. And he entertained everybody around a campfire as there was some blistering rock band on the main stage. And we were around this campfire off in the distance, listening to him play with just Gemma backing him up. And he'd give her the keys before they started. And that was the generosity of the man. Before we play this last song, and I know I've yacked a lot, I want to mention so many, well, just a handful of the projects of New Earth that are worth checking out. Obviously, his painting. You can go online, see his website, and see his paintings, or an example of his paintings, because there's, there's so many, it's not even funny. There's about a dozen or so online. Um, there was a great record he helped uh, get together, produced by Peter Case. If I've mispronounced this wonderful Belgium singer's name, please forgive me. I'm a victim of the Kentucky State School System. Ava de Rivere. Is that right? Ava de Rivera? Anyway, Peter produced her album called uh, Chanticleer, and it came out in 2014. New Earth had some involvement in that. That's a New Earth project I would point you to. More recently, around 2019, New Earth helped produce and put together an album for the great Vince Bell. I know, who's Vince Bell? Believe me, folks, just because you've not heard this name doesn't mean they're not worth checking out. The album uh, was called Ojo. And the two tracks I really like of it are When the Wind Sleeps and The Snake. 
Many people are going to say, hey, what happened to that song he wrote with Christopherson and Roger McGuinn called Rock and Roll Time? I just didn't have time to play all these things. I'm sorry about that. There was the Ralph Stanley album from 2002 that he produced with T-Bone Burnett after, in sort of the wake of the uh, uh, R- Bluegrass Renaissance. And, of course, he also did the uh, promotion, uh, uh, the produced, rather, the Down From The Mountain film. And I believe he was the tour manager of the Down From The Mountain tour, Bob Newarth. What an amazing guy. For more on Bob, there's a wonderful book by Jim Rooney and the late Eric Von Schmidt called Baby Let Me Follow You Down about the Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's out near Boston. Don't get excited. Cambridge, England. Different town entirely. It's in Massachusetts. Called Baby Let Me Follow You Down by Jim Rooney and Eric Von Schmidt. It's got some New Earth stuff in there. And it says the scene from where Bob came from. Uh, you know, 50, 40, or 30 years ago, I would not have been discussing an artist that I knew. And as I age... I'm now discussing artists on this podcast, many of whom I've had the pleasure to work with. This last song of the podcast, and I'll do a, a, a goodbye afterwards, could be very much Bob Newworth's own epitaph. He wrote it. It's called Beautiful Day. He wrote it for a friend that passed away. But I, let me just let Bob sing to you and think about maybe he's singing to himself. Bob Newworth from the album Look Up and a beautiful song called Beautiful Day. When I first heard the news that you were going down It did not make me feel that way In my heart Thank you. 
Maybe I've gotten sentimental in my old age, but to me, that's new worth singing about himself, although he wouldn't have known it at the time. But we learn these things as, as songs change. As you get older, your perspective of the song changed. Even if you wrote the song, the meaning of the song might change to you. Not the guy in the audience, but the author of the song. That song, to me, sums up Bob Newirth to a T. It was, a, no doubt, a beautiful, beautiful day when he wrote that song and about a wonderful, wonderful friend and now when he sings it, I don't hear him singing about his friend. I hear him singing to me about himself, as convoluted as that may seem. I know I have yacked a lot, ladies and gentlemen, on this podcast, the Sid podcast. This I probably doubled the talking tonight on the podcast that I, that I normally do. And I, in many ways, regret that. But in many ways, I didn't have enough time to play the music and to say the things I wanted to say about New Earth. My notes here... I've only crossed out about half of the things I've said. There's so much left to be said. But let me just end with this. Bob Newworth gave to this world. I had a friend tell me he actually didn't understand the end of Abbey Road. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Somewhat exasperated, I said, how can you not know what that means? It's in the New Testament. It's in the Koran. It's Buddhist. How can you not know what that means? Simply enough, at the end of the day, when the roll is called up yonder, New Earth's ledger is on the positive side. What was it Grantland Rice said? Grantland Rice wrote, when the great score, he was a golf enthusiast, and Grantland Rice wrote one of his sports columns, when the great scorer, great score in capital letters, right? That means God. Follow me here. When the great score comes to mark against your name. He doesn't mark ere you won or lost, but how you played the game. And New Earth played the game well. He was a positive force in this world. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. He made a lot of love. He helped a lot of people achieve sobriety. He helped he, Patty Smith, when she was a poet, he convinced her she should start singing. He took Christopherson, as I said twice, to Nashville and pushed his songs and pushed Mr. Chris Christopherson forward. He was kind enough to grab a nobody like me and say, you can do this, you've got talent. Come on the stage with me and introduce me to this person and that person. I will never 
forget his kindnesses to me, and I will always try and bear witness to his kindnesses to others. I've said what I have to say. Thank you very much for listening, folks. I really appreciate everybody listening. Thanks to my engineer, my dear friend, Mr. Kevin Stokes. Thanks to Sonia, our gal Friday, who does every single thing here at the podcast headquarters. Shecky, get the jet. I am out of here. I'm going to go play some harmonica to a Bob Newworth song. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. I've got to go. Goodbye. I'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. I love you.